respect, whatever that means. But Christopher Luxon has got to the point where he can now put together a government, a coalition government, along with ACT and with New Zealand First, David Seymour and Winston Peters. I found it interesting in that he campaigned using a slogan, let's get our country back on track. Is our country off track? In fact, it's a mile off track. I looked at some of the issues that I think are off track and there's a few of them up on the board and I could probably put a whole lot more. But economically, yesterday somebody said on the news, an economist, that out of 180 countries, New Zealand is nine from the worst economically. Morally, just about anything goes these days in New Zealand. Crime rates gone through the roof. Almost daily we have, uh, what do you call them, where they drive a car through a car window, shop window, ram riding, ram. And then there's, at the same time they have people shooting each other. Guns are all the rage at the moment. What about our medical system? Is it really working if you're waiting for an operation and you can't get in for two or three years? What about our schools? That are producing kids that are coming out the other end that are almost illiterate. Some of them don't know how to do even basic arithmetic. Nothing. And spiritually, New Zealand is in the doldrums. That's all pretty depressing, isn't it? Fancy getting up here and talking like that. But Christopher Luxon is offering to get the country back on track. And if that is not far enough, you've only got to look outside New Zealand and you realise that internationally it's just as bad. In fact, at the moment there are wars going on, one between Russia and Ukraine, Another one between Israel and the Hamas, and a lot of people being destroyed there. China is lining its warships up, ready to attack Taiwan. You've got America, has got South Americans that are coming in, and they're trying to build a wall to stop that happening, and it just goes on and on and on. Is he going to get New Zealand back on track? That's the big question that we face. Are we looking at this new Prime Minister as the guy that's going to fix it all? I want to suggest today that he's not our saviour. Jesus is. And Jesus is the only one that we can look to for the way, the truth and the life. So what's going on? I'm coming across Christians over and over again who are looking again at prophecy and they're seeing this as a sign of the end is coming. And uh, they're saying things like, the world has got its expiry date all set. We're on the final frontier. And from a human perspective, it would be easy to look and say, yeah, I wonder what is going to happen. 
Well, I don't know. And I'm in good company because nobody else does either. Because Jesus said these words. He said, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. We don't know when it will happen. But one guy, a guy named Bill Stanton, wrote a book. And he called his book, Don't Be Scared, Be Prepared. And so I took my title for my message today from the cover of his book. Don't be scared. And I want to tell you today that you should not be scared, you should be prepared. And I hope that what I share this morning will help you to prepare. I want to turn to your Bibles today to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. It says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the very word of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm aware that as a church you have just gone through a series in First Peter, and I didn't get to hear very much of it at all. So I'm getting up here today preaching from First Peter. Reminds me a little bit of the pastor who preached the same sermon week after week and by about third week somebody came up to him and said, can't you get something new? And he said, well, I'll keep preaching this one till you start applying it and then we'll get one. <laughs> well, it might be a bit like that. But our text today starts with the words, the end of all things is near. What do you think? Is the end near? What do you think? Everybody must have thought about it. I'm wanting some feedback here. Do you think the end's near? Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we've got to realise, of course, that these words were written 2,000 years ago, so it's 2,000 years nearer than it was then. I want you to notice that in that text, Peter says, the end is near, therefore. And when I see that word therefore, and Peter seems to use it a lot in his little letter, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? He's wanting to transition or change or to apply something. And so he said, he's really saying that because the end is near, this is how you need to get ready. 
And what I want to share with you today is how you need to be prepared for the end. Everybody on board with that? You want to be ready for the end because we do not know when it is going to take place. And what I find that he gives in this little text are some very, very ordinary, simple things that every single one of us can do so that we are prepared for the end. Let me give you the first one. The first one is to keep your head clear. You keep it clear by maintaining an active prayer life. Have a look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And I've underlined those words, clear-minded and self-controlled. And some of your versions that use the word being sober-minded. Now, I don't think that means being glum. I think it means being attentive, catching it, keeping your mind actively. And, and how do we do that? He says we do it by prayer. Now, I find when I look a little bit further that Jesus said something very, very similar. Because in the last week before Jesus went to the cross, he spent time talking with his disciples and giving them advice. And this is a little bit of his advice. He said, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape those coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Now, what are the coming horrors? He's saying that at the end of the time, when the end is really near and we're getting right towards the end of this world's expiry date, it's going to be really tough. And you're going to need to know how to pray. And you're going to need to know how to keep your head clear so that you can do it. Now, how do you do that? There's lots of things we can do. One of the things that Paul says in Colossians 2 is that we can be clear-minded by keeping ourselves from being deceived. And the way that we keep from being deceived is by praying. Listen to what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. If you really believe that this is the end times, then you're going to want to be very careful that people won't deceive you with empty philosophies. People making predictions, people talking about politics, people talking about all sorts of things that are going on in the world. They want to take us and they want to grab us with their philosophies and they want to control this whole world with empty philosophies that mean very little indeed. Some Christians get tangled up with, with trying to predict the time. I remember back when we had the year 2000, the end of the second millennium, 
And people were standing up there and saying, oh, this means the end is coming and we're going to have Christ arrive and he's going to reign for a thousand years. And what happened? Nothing. Then we had this situation in 2012 where somebody latched onto the idea that the Mayans had their calendar came to a dead end in December 2012. And they said, well, they must have it right. It's all going to finish, 2012. Did it finish? It didn't. And then there's those people who have given countless different times when they say that there's going to be the rapture and we're going to, Jesus is going to come and we're going to zap out and we're going to avoid all this trouble. Is that going to happen? You know, people over and over again get tangled up with trying to predict. Some have sold everything that they've had. They've got rid of their jobs. They've got rid of their possessions. They've gone up on some mountain and they've stood there in their pyjamas waiting for Jesus to take them home. Why? How can I keep my head clear so that I won't be deceived. It's by prayer. Now I want to tell you something, and this is a confession, I'm not a very good prayer. Are you? You know, I hear about these people that pray almost constantly all day long. And I don't find it that simple. I find that it's, for me that it's some sort of a discipline that I have to build into my life. I remember one time listening to Bill Hybels from the Community Faith Church and he said he used to write out his prayers because he couldn't stop his mind from running off into all sorts of tangents. I've done a fair bit of that, writing my prayers. At other times I've sat down and I've written lists of things that need to be prayed for. Sometimes I've prayed through scripture. One of the things that Andrea and I do when we wake up in the morning now is that we spend time together reading God's word. And then we pray together. And what happens is that we often pray what is in the text. We've been reading about God's word and he's always got instruction. It, generally, it, it applies really specifically to something in our lives. Sometimes we need to confess. Other times we need to repent. Sometimes we need to just seek him for his dwelling power of his Holy Spirit. There's all sorts of things. But I find that if I don't set myself a target to be prayerful in the morning it's highly likely that I'm going to have a prayerless day. Anybody else like that? When I have a prayerless day, I have a powerless day. If I fail to pray, I fail to achieve. Are you like that? God wants us to be people who can tap in to his mighty power through prayer. 
And I'm still learning how to do it, and I'm hoping that you will too, that you will make sure that you have a clear mind. The older I get, the harder it is to keep my mind clear. Anybody else find that? Yeah. It's, it's a bit like that. Recently, I met one person who was living in total fear. And what had happened was that when the pandemic came, I think it was back in 2020, she and her family decided the best way to avoid getting the pandemic was to pull out of all involvement with other people. And so they, they sunk themselves into their home and they didn't go anywhere. I went to visit that person about a month ago and they're still doing it. They have not been to church since. Is that healthy? It's a terrible state of affairs. She's let fear rob her of what so much could happen. So we need to keep our heads clear. How? Through prayer. And my question for you today is simply this. What are you going to do? Considering that we could very well be in end times, what are you going to do to develop your life of prayer? Jesus prayed all night. Daniel, he set aside times, three times a day when he prayed. And nothing would stop him from doing it. What are you going to do to develop your prayer time? That's the first thing. The second thing that I want to bring from this text today is that God wants you to keep your heart warm. You will keep your heart warm by showing love to others that you care for them. Verse 8 says this, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. He says, most important of all. It's not of little importance. He's saying that it's of most importance that you show love to those people around you. And he alludes to the fact that they've all got problems. Is that right? You've got problems. I've got problems. And sometimes we are hard to love. We're not talking about that fuzzy sort of Hollywood-type love. We're talking about agape, the selfless giving of one person to another. I watched a movie recently called Johnny. Has anybody seen the movie Johnny? It's based on a true story about a Polish priest. And this Polish priest, he caught a terminal illness. Didn't say what it was, but he was a sick man. And in this process of dealing with his sickness, he saw the need for something like a hospice, and he set one up, and he started reaching out to people in need, and it showed these people that were coming into this place, and some of them had awful issues. Some of them were hard to love. Some of them were... You know, you just couldn't imagine something that was more difficult. 
And yet he reached out and he reached out and he reached out. An amazing movie. But this is what he said. He said this, if I can find it. He said, showing kindness to others is one of the nicest things that we can do for ourselves. Let me read that again. Showing kindness to others is one of the nicest things that we can do for ourselves. He found that what happened was that when he reached out to people in need, he helped them and they loved it, but he also helped himself because it changed his character. God wants us to be people who love. This is his one commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one for another. I find that interesting. I noticed this morning that you were advertising your um, community outreach, the, what do they call it, the one way or... Central Way, Central Way. And, and you're out there wanting to get firewood and food and things to help the community. Every one of us needs to be looking at ways that we can reach out to those in need. That's all Jesus has asked us to do is love. We've all heard it before. What am I standing on? Something there. What is it? They don't want it anyway. Something like that. <laughs> anyway, so there we are. God wants us to keep our hearts warm with love. That we'd reach out over and over and over again. Everybody can love someone that is easy to love. <coughs> what about the ones that are difficult to love? Our Bibles tell us that he pours his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And if you choose to be a loving person, one thing is for certain, he wants to use his Holy Spirit to enable you to love people. Simple as that. He doesn't ask us to do something that we can't do. Let me come to the third. What was the first one that we did? Keep your head clear by prayer. Second one was keep your heart warm by love. My third one is that you need to keep your home open by showing hospitality to those in need. It says this in the text, Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Do you do that? Our homes, friends, I notice that the text doesn't say share your house. It says share your home. Is there a difference between a house and a home? What's the difference? A house is a building. A home is a place of community where a family lives. And he's saying to us, that we need to keep our homes open to those in need. In the first century of the Christian church, 
people were very, very poor. And so the church grew and it developed as people opened their homes. And most of the churches at that very early time stemmed out of house churches. When I started looking at this, I realised that there's lots of places in the New Testament where it emphasises being loving and caring and offering hospitality. Here's just a couple. Romans 12, 13 says, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, 1 to 2 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Oh, you ever thought that maybe you have entertained an angel? How would you know? Well, you know, just last week, we got an email from an Israeli that had lived at our place a number of years ago. And in the email, he said that he had opened his house to homeless people. And he especially mentioned that he was opening it to Israelis and Palestinians alike. Hear that? Two countries that are Warring against people. Well, one country, but two factions within their country. Warring against each other. And here's this guy offering his home and saying, you can come in, you can come and live with us. Now, what's that got to do with New Zealand? One of the crises that we have in this country is that we are short of houses. A huge shortage. And sure, there's, there's houses out there for sale, that's if you've got a million plus dollars. And, and if you haven't got that and you have to rent a place, I had a guy just the other day said to me that he was paying 1200 a week in Queenstown to rent a house. How do you do that? Friends, we've got a crisis here. And, and what would happen if, if every Christian family decided to take one person more into their home and offer them hospitality. We need to realise that one of the most powerful things that we have for evangelism is our home. God uses homes. One of the things that happened when the COVID pandemic came on there were all sorts of limitations that were put on churches and other groups, numbers that they could have in their buildings, and you all know what it was like, pretty tough. What were the limitations that were put on their homes? There weren't any. We could function. We could, we could invite people into our homes. We could change things. God wants us to open our homes because open homes have the effect of opening hearts. And when we open hearts through hospitality, what a difference it makes. 
Okay, so everybody with me? What was the first one? Yeah, that we would keep our heads clear through prayer. What was the second one? That we would keep our hearts warm through offering love. And then we would keep our homes open by being hospitable to those in need. I've got one more for you today, and it's this one. Keep your hands busy using the gifts that God has given to you. See what verse 10 says. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Now, what do we mean by a gift? Are you gifted? What is the gift that God has given you? What's he done? Is there something that he has provided you with so that you can use? I've defined a gift as a a spiritual gift as a gift of divine enablement and empowerment that has been given to him and her to serve in the church, the body of Christ. There are so many things we can do. I, I heard that just yesterday, the Christie's, Nolene, you guys had a camp out at your place. Now God provided you with that lovely place out at Brass Nooker Road and you're using it for God's glory. It's a gift. What, what is the gift that God has given you? Some people don't think they have gifts. I grew up in a family where my mother claimed that she had no gift, and yet she raised nine children, and all nine followed the Lord in a very dedicated, loyal fashion. And we all attributed to our mother. Is that a gift? Yeah, it certainly is. What is the gift that God has given to you? You know there's, there's various places in the Bible where it talks about the spiritual gifts. There's Romans 12, there's Ephesians 4, there's 1 Corinthians 12, and now there's this passage in Peter. Listen to what he says about the gifts. 1 Peter 11. He says, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very gifts of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I realised some many years ago that I could not do public speaking. You might look and say, what on earth are you doing up here today? I couldn't do it. Yet one day... God enabled me to be able to do it. That is God's gift to me. But I have the responsibility of making sure that when I get up and speak to people, that what I'm speaking to them about is God's word. You don't want to hear 
what the local newspaper says. You want to hear what God's saying. And what you've got today is basically, purely and simply, God's word. That's what it's about. Some of you, your job is to serve. Some of you, your job is to provide a home. There's all sorts of things that you can do. God gives you a gift. Some of you are good with music. Use it. Use it for God's glory. That's what this text is saying. So, here we are. We need to keep our hands busy using what God has given us. The world, friends, is speeding to an end. I don't know when that day is, but there's some things that we can take notice of. And the key to it all is that we need to look at how we live in view of the fact that we do not know when the end is coming. We need to remember that God is in control. He made the world and he knows when it's going to end. In Revelation, I haven't got time to go through this verse in depth, but in Revelation 15, and there's about half a dozen other places in Revelation, where God is called the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't say he's the Lord Mighty. It says he's the Lord Almighty. And let's never forget that, that God is in control. We have things at the moment like climate change, where the world... Brain boxes think they can control the world by taking cars off us and goodness knows what. Only God knows. He's the Lord God Almighty. We need to remember that we're living in end times. When the Bible talks about end times, it's talking about the whole period of time between his first coming and his second coming. And in 1 John, John says, the last hour has come. Has it? In 2 Peter, Peter says that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like one day. Let's remember that we are living in end times now. We don't know when the end of end times will come. It could come today. It could come tomorrow. It could come in 10 years' time. It is pointless getting into a whole lot of speculation as to when because no one knows. And thus far, everybody that's made speculations has got it wrong. And so, if I, but my sermon today is saying that we don't need to be scared, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared because he has prepared a place for us and we need to be ready. So there we are, four things for today, let's go through them, say them together. Keep your head clear through prayer. Keep your heart warm with love. Keep your home open to those who need hospitality.
and keep your hands busy with the gift that God has given us. And if you do that, you're well on the way to being right ready for any moment that he would come. So may God bless you. The text finishes up by saying, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, our job is not to leave it to our politicians. Our job is to live the life so that he will get the glory. And we will find that it will impact the world 